My name is Greg Dancho. I am the zoo director here at Connecticut Spearsley Zoo in Bridgeport, Connecticut. Hello, I'm John Rossi. I'm a touring drummer with a passion for animal conservation. When I'm on the road, I spend as much time as possible visiting zoos, aquariums, and conservation organizations. Now, I want to share those places with you. I'll be talking to keepers, vets, conservationists, anyone who can help me in my mission of connecting my people to animals through their people. Join me on my raw safari. Hello, 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 and welcome back to a, a kind of cool, kind of same but different episode of the Raw Safari Podcast. So, um, this episode is being recorded right now in Massachusetts after I just left Beardsley Zoo in Connecticut and drove here. And uh, yeah, I'm on a little two days off from my show and having a mini adventure. And normally, the way this podcast works is I go in chronological order through my adventures, and you get to hear them as I lived them, just, you know, a couple months delayed. However, Beardsley Zoo is opening a brand new, wonderful Andean bear exhibit this upcoming weekend. And uh, so I was able to talk to Lisa, their PR person there, about coming on up today, Monday, May 15th, and going and checking out the exhibit and talking with someone about it and and spending time there and turning it into an episode, hopefully to encourage y'all to go and check out this new exhibit when it opens this very upcoming weekend. So this episode will actually be dropping less than 12 hours after I recorded the initial interview. And I've never really done something quite that quick before with one of the main Raw Safari episodes. So um, it's been really thrilling. It was a little weird waking up today and realizing that I have a podcast coming out tonight and I don't know what it will be like interview-wise because the interview hasn't happened yet. So yeah. Oh, but what an interview it was. I love Beardsley Zoo so much. And uh, this was actually recorded in the holding area of the new Andean Bear exhibit. We were right there at the beginning. Uh, there, There's a special guest other than the, the person speaking. It's, it's the Andean Bear that lives at the zoo. And um, it was just a really cool experience to hang out there. You will hear some, some shifting noises and, and stuff like that because it is an actual, you know, exhibit habitat. There was a keeper working as we interviewed. Um, and uh, it was just so cool to get to come and check this out before it opens and to see this this new gorgeous exhibit. I'm I'm really excited to share this with y'all. That's not actually the only thing I'm excited about this week, though. Um, so as y'all probably know from listening, I have a Patreon where you can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month by going to patreon.com slash Safari. And this week, we have two new patrons joining the family. Uh, first of all, welcome, Ali Malensky. It is lovely to have you on board. Thank you for being here. And also, welcome, Stephen Williamson, who is... 
a brand new Red Panda level patron, meaning you'll be hearing that name every week. So uh, thank you both for being here and supporting the pod. And thank you to all of my patrons and really to everyone who supports me in other ways too, because it ain't all about the money, y'all. But I will tell you that having patrons like that enable these trips like this to just shoot off to Beardsley and and make this happen. So uh, thank you all very much. Quick housekeeping, don't forget, you know, make sure you hit up at Rossafari on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at Rossafari Pod on TikTok. Make sure you're subscribed to the podcast. All the good things. You know the drill. Okay, enough talking. Let's get to my interview with Greg Dancho, the director of Connecticut's Beardsley Zoo. Or should we say Beardsley Zoo now? Get it? Because Andy and Bear? All right, all right interview. <laughs> I have been doing my job as zoo director for now 40 years. Uh, Actually, I've been here for 48 years. Wow. Uh, I was born here uh, under a tree. Part of the SSP? Yeah, Yeah. part of the SSP breeding program, yeah. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, the zoo has actually uh, just went through its 100th anniversary last year. And then I looked at my numbers and said I've been here 48 of those 100 years. So (laughs) it's a little bit, uh, a little disconcerting in in some respects. Uh, But... Uh, we've done a lot of things over the years and really excited right now to have you. Uh, we're actually in back, uh, the back, backward scenes of our Andean bear, new Andean bear habitat that we, uh, just going to be opening up this weekend on yeah. May 20th. It's going to be a lot, a lot of fun. And we're going to have the ribbon cutting and, and talk a little bit about, uh, how this project came to be. And we're really excited about it. I am really excited about it as well. Being here now, it is it is as gorgeous as I had hoped it would be. So um, let's start off. We'll, we'll come back to talking about you. But right now, we are standing roughly a foot and a half away, although through, you know, protected contact, um, from a bear. Uh, so tell me about who we're hanging out with. So this is Kayumbe. Kayumbe is an Andean bear. They used to be called spectacle bears, which is interesting. That's when they... Uh, uh, years ago, when they ch- before they changed, uh, because the Andean bear comes from the Andes mountain chain, it made more sense to call them Andean bear. Uh, but they used to be called spectacle bear because if you look at their faces, you can see that they do have rings around their eyes, a lighter color, uh, or generally a black bear, but with ring co- light-colored rings around their eyes. And that denotes, again, the spectacle look to them. Which is really interesting about Andean bears also is that uh, a lot of people don't realize that the Andean bear, uh, they're... Um, they were the bear that is modeled after Paddington Bear. Oh, okay. So Paddington Bear, uh, the gentleman who wrote Paddington Bear was down in South America, saw an Andean bear, thought they were the cutest little thing, uh, put a hat on, a little coat, and that's how Paddington Bear came. So Paddington Bear actually is an Andean bear or spectacle bear. Wow, I did not know that. That's very cool. Um, and yeah, so let's just... Uh, I, this is a much smaller bear than than I think a lot of people might think of if you think of black bears or grizzlies yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So what are we talking size-wise here? Andean bears are much smaller than, uh, especially the females, are much smaller than our North American black bears. Uh, they you know, weigh in approximately 75 to 85 pounds for the females. The males will get larger, about double in size. Uh and so the males will get to be over 300 pounds. So they, they look like a more like a yearling black bear, uh, but the, but they are a smaller bear. They live mostly arboreal. They will live in trees. So they climb up trees all the time. Uh, so the smallness of them helps them with that. What's interesting about Andean bears too is that they 
uh, live, again, in the words, they live in the Andes mountain chain. So they can be found way up high in the mountains, in the cold weather areas, and all the way down into the jungles. Oh, wow. Um, okay. if, if you're standing here right now, you can actually look. Your, your listeners can't see it, but she, they love making nests. Uh, where where our black bears really don't make nests, right, especially right. when they're when they come out of hibernation. But she will every night drag her straw and make a little nest. As you can see over there in the corner. Yes. She'll, she'll bring if the, if uh, our animal care providers give their give her more straw in another area, she will go and grab it, pick it up, bring it to her nest, and make herself a nice little nice little area to sleep in overnight. So it's uh, it's really kind of cool to see. Now, Cayumbe. Uh, is 22 years old. Uh, they can live up into their 30s. Okay. Uh, so she is a relatively older bear. Uh, she did come to us from the Cleveland Zoo. Uh, they were doing a whole redo of their habitat there. Uh, knew that we were building one here. Said, can we uh, can we take Kayumbe here for a short period of time while they're building their new habitat? And we said yes, and we just love her having her here uh, at Connecticut's Beers. Now, she may or may not be staying here. Uh, their habitat is being completed. Uh but we really don't know. With the SSP program that we work with with these bears, uh, we don't know whether she'll be here with us or she'll be going back to uh, to Cleveland. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, it's awesome to have her here right now, though. This is so <laughs> – I'm so excited. Can you tell me a little bit about her personality? Because she seems to to really like uh, her, her keeper and, and people and, you know. Kayumbe is really a – People bear. I love that. <laughs> People bear. She, she, she. Uh, from what we understand, at Cleveland, really bonded with her animal care providers uh, and loves people. And so when we see her up in, in the new habitat, which is which is very, very, very large. Yes. She is always watching for staff. She's always looking to see where staff is, uh, and she will come right up. She is just a very, very personable animal. She's very intelligent. She knows when food's coming. She knows when there's a, an animal care provider in the area. And she uh, and now she's going to be shifted now. You're going to hear some banging in the laws as, as Linda moves her uh, through the inside uh, holding area here. Uh, you can see that she's watching everything she does. Yeah, she's really into it. And also, just for my listeners, I need you all to understand that um – Kayume is just here, just like right here, like a foot and a half away. And as Greg mentioned, is like literally like standing up to look like I am amazed and I'm able to ask questions and not just giggle and make weird noises. Because this is just truly, I mean, she is a beautiful animal. She is. She is a gorgeous animal. And again, she's she very, very personal, like we just said. I mean, and, and she and, and sometimes she uh, will just show some really uh, uh, aspects of her of her personality to where she can be a little bit like Linda mentioned a little while ago, a little bit of a goober. Yes, you which know, by the way is my favorite word. So I love that. Yeah. <laughs> yes. How is she a goober? <laughs> tell, tell me how a little bit about uh, how a little she's bit a goober, how goober right? said she she again. You, Linda wants her to do something, and she will do something completely opposite. But still do it eventually. So like Linda's moving her now from one shift area to the other, uh, giving her access back outside. Uh, while we were coming in here a few a few minutes ago, uh, Linda was doing a, a, a new behavior that we're trying to get her to learn. Uh, behavioral enrichment is very important, and sometimes it's good for the animal and good for the staff. But the behavioral enrichment we work with her was emergency recall. Emergency yes. recall is just in case we have something going on. Uh, Severe storm coming through the zoo, could be anything like that, but we want her to come back in to the holding area as quickly as possible. And so Linda was ringing the bell, giving her a food treat to say, come on in. 
And now this building is 60 feet long. There's three outside holding areas that are very large. She was at the east side of the building, uh, figuring Linda figured she'd open the door, ring the bell, she'd come right in. And, of course, Kayumbe decided to walk the entire length of the building through the other three habitats and come in at the <laughs> west side of the building. So, again, uh, that's that's the gooberness of her. <laughs> I love that. Um, so, okay, so let's talk. Uh, this is, uh, for, from my eyes, correct me if I'm wrong, but this has to be the biggest and most impressive project that y'all have undertaken, at least in a while. Yeah. This is huge. Yeah, like I said, I've been here 40 years, and we've gone through some really big changes here at Connecticut Spiritually Zoo, but this one is, at this point, at this juncture, uh, the, the most expensive program we've done, the largest exhibit we've built or habitat we've built. And yeah, we're really proud of this. This was funded by the state of Connecticut. Uh, and we went to them and we used to have Andy and Bear here mm-hmm. years ago. Uh, and when I was director, I decided that that habitat or exhibit that we had them in uh, was just too small. Okay. And so there was no reason to have an animal here that we didn't think that we were taking good care of or in a situation that we felt was good for their own welfare. So uh, we moved the bears out through the SSP. Because we're an accredited member of AZA, uh, we were able to contact the Species Survival Plan and say, hey, can you move this bear to another facility? We just feel it'd be better for, for him. And so Joaquin left us and went down to Ogle Bay Zoo in Wheeling, West Virginia. Uh, and we were out of bear business for a while. And we always wanted to bring bears back. Uh, so again, we, we went to the state of Connecticut and we lobbied for bonding for the, the program and we received it and we were able to build this, I think, a, a very lovely area for our bears now. Yeah, that's amazing. So I, I, I'm, I'm curious. So I know, you know, that, that's a great story, but what is it? So you're, you're the director and your team gets together and you're like, all right, we're going to do a big project. We're going to do a big expansion. We want something new and something exciting. How out of the, hundreds of species that, you know, are in the AZ and stuff. How do you settle on Andy and Bear? What was it that made you think this is what's going to make our zoo pop? Well, you know, it's one of the things when we, when at Connecticut Spirit Zoo, we've done over the years, the Connecticut Spirit Zoo in their animal collection plan was really cosmopolitan. Okay. Uh, way back when. So any animal that the, the zoo could pick up, we'd bring in. We had Hanneman Langers. We had ringtail lemurs. We had kangaroos. We had zebra. Uh, but in that whole picture, really, we weren't looking at the educational aspect of it or the, or the ecosystem they come from, the niches they come from. Uh, so we decided to go and work with animals from North America, South America, and cold weather Asian. Now, the biggest reason for doing that, I believe, is that back in the early uh, years, when I first became the zoo director back in the early 80s, um, we had an elephant here. We had Kashiba was our elf, African elephant, and we had her in a very small habitat area, cage area. I won't even say habitat because right. it was not a habitat. Mm-hmm. It was it was a very small area to keep it a large animal like that. We could only keep one elephant at the time, uh, and so it wasn't fair to her. It wasn't fair to the zoo. It wasn't fair to our guests. It just was not a good thing. So we did move Kashiba out. Our African elephant did leave us, and at that time, the decision was made. We're not going to have animals we can't take care of in the resources that we have here, the climate that we have here, the size of the facility we have here. Uh, so we had to make that really conscious decision to decide what kind of animals we were going to bring in. We wanted to bring in animals that had need. We wanted to bring in animals that were endangered species. We wanted to work with the AZA's SSP programs 
and not bring in animals like, you know, black bears. I mean, there's no reason for us to have a black bear habitat here when they're walking around every place in Connecticut. So we didn't want to work with animals that had a need. Bringing back Indian bear was kind of a personal thing for me because I moved the Indian bears out and I promised like MacArthur did, that I'd bring him back. Yeah. And so uh, for those people who remember who MacArthur was, we won't get into that. But, uh, but we did. I did want to bring them back. So it was something that I, I love these bears. The bear that we had years ago was very animated, very friendly, just the greatest animal to have, an endangered species, has a need, has an SSP program written around it, has a SAFE program. Now we have a SAFE program right. in AZA, the Saving Animals from Extinction. So it, it's part of that program also. So that all of that uh, really, and and it was part of our collection plan from South America, a smaller bear. We didn't have to, you know, we'd have to have grizzly bears or, or polar bears here because uh, people think about, well, can we bring polar bears? Sure we could. You know, this is a $2.5 million project we did here for polar bears. We'd probably have to quadruple that number right. to bring polar bears in. So it uh, it just made sense for us to have a bear that was part of our collection plan, but also it had need. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I dig it. So um, let's talk about the habitat here because it is, like you said, it is large. It is expansive. Um Talk to me about it and about the design of it and such. Well, we actually, when we worked with this, we worked with the zoo architects to get this project completed uh, out of Seattle. Uh, and we worked this as a design build, which was actually very, uh, I think, a good way to do this. We were able to bring our team together, uh, the zoo team together, to look at the project as it was going on. Instead of having an architect design it and give us the plans that here we go, we were able to look at it on as, as the project was going along. We wanted to be able to have multiple bears. We want, again, not just have a, a, a habitat for one or two bears. We wanted to be part of the SSP. We wanted to be part of that program. Do we have offspring, hopefully, in the future? So first design was the holding building. Uh, and in our holding building, we have space here to house five bears right yeah. now, uh, which are large interior holding areas, we have a lot of natural light coming into the area. We have uh, we put down substrate uh, on the ground instead of concrete floors. Mm-hmm. Uh, this way, the bears, where they're inside, are still on soft ground. Uh, we have climbing structures and areas they can get into. But really, what's exciting about this is at the far end of the building, we have a den area that mom can go into and be very, very, very uh, feeling very secure with heated floors. Uh, another area that the babies and mom can have as, a, as an area to get used to the area, and then a play area as they start to grow. So that was really part of it. Also, we put a kitchen in here mm-hmm. uh, so it, so the staff can have a place they can prepare the diets. And I think one of the other important things that we did also was to have cameras now. We have cameras in the entire building. Our animal care staff can check on the bears from home. Uh, so we do have it so they can That's watch awesome. it from home. They can also come into the enclosure, check the cameras, see where the bears are, make sure it's safe. Uh, so all that, I believe, made for this made this to be a really great building for, for housing bears. One of the other things that we did in this building is on the outside, uh, and a lot of times in zoos, as you close down for the evening, especially with bears and bigger, bigger animals, they get put inside for the night. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they stay a night you know, for 16 hours until they go outside. Now, we made it so they have enough room in here to be able to, to, to accommodate that. But we also did was we built a, a night yard for, uh, on the outside of this building. And the night yard is where the bears can go outside at night. 
We don't have to keep them inside. They can go outside and get air. They can go outside and get some exercise. They just want to take a stroll around before it gets dark. Then they're allowed to do that. Mm -hmm. that, I think that's a big thing for us because I I really believe that, you know, that 16 hours is a long time to be inside. So they're now allowed to be outside. We do that now also at the zoo with our spider monkeys that have the, they can go inside and outside as uh, whatever they want to. Our our red panda was built the Mm -hmm. same way. They go inside and outside whenever they want to. Even during the day, they can do that. And mm-hmm. the way we were able to build that is we staff, uh, our guests were able to are able to see the animals whether they're in or out because of it, it, they're it, it's open. There's glass front in both areas. Yep. Yeah, we did a we did a, an episode from the yep. Red Panda Habitat yep. here um, about a year ago, and uh, it's one of my favorite uh, Red Panda yeah. exhibits. They're yeah, my it, favorite animals. It, so. Oh, they yeah. are. They're very cool. Very very, yeah. No, but I, I love how Barry has all that room. It's so cool. So the idea here at the zoo is to is again look at animal welfare as paramount, and what do we can we do for the for the animals that we have here to make it more comfortable. So now the outside yards, we from the inside to the outside. Now we have four yards. We have the night yard that uh, they can go out at night, and then we have three yards that are relatively large. They get larger as you go uh, from right to left, and the uh, and one yard. It has each yard has a den area that if they want to go inside, go into a little den area. Mm-hmm. They have climbing structures in each yard. Uh, and as you get to the largest yard, we have glass viewing for our guests to be able to see the bears. We have a waterfall and a pond. And a couple of weeks ago, it was 95 degrees. Uh, Kayumbe was in the water. She got into the water right in front of the guests. We we're able to swim around exactly what you want to design. We have climbing structures all over the area. And these are very large yards. Uh, so we're really excited that the bears can have a lot of space. And that's, again, when we build our new tiger habitat, we're going to be mirroring this building and the, the outside to make, again, the biggest area we can allow the animals to have. Yeah, I'm really excited about that. I One of my favorite things, um, especially with some of the smaller, um, you know, zoos that, that I've been going to, I mean, I probably found this place seven years ago, maybe. And um yeah, watching the growth and watching the the change and and seeing you know the the original panda habitat compared to what you have now and seeing this bear it's it's so inspiring it's so cool to see the growth here. Yeah, it's uh, like I said I've I've been coming here. I said I was I've been working here as director for forty years. I've been here uh, working here at the zoo for forty eight years. Right. But I also have been coming here since I'm uh, one year old because I grew up in the neighborhood. Nice. So I've seen this place back when I was a, a little tiny kid coming here with my parent family, coming here with my dad, would go into the old monkey house and he, we were, you were able to reach into the enclosures and he'd reach in and, and I told him, stop, you're going to get us kicked out. And <laughs> it was, it was one of those things that, you know, back then, Really, the zoo consisted of uh, a monkey house, which was very dark and dank and very a bunch of small cages uh, with a couple uh, hoofstock displays that were just paddocks and a um, and a farmyard that was really kind of ramshackle. Uh, so back then to now, yes, I think we're we're moving the zoo forward. We just went through our 100th anniversary. Now we're looking at the next 100 years of where we're going. We do have a master plan that we work with, uh, but really the next couple things that are going to be happening here, uh, which we're really excited about, is a new tiger habitat. Uh, I was a keeper here. I was an animal care provider when when we had our first tiger 
cub ever born. I was in charge of the Tigers nice. at the time. So, uh, or I worked in the Tigers. I was in charge of them. I mean, I was in charge of Tigers. They're in charge of themselves. <laughs> but I was with the Tigers when, uh, when the, we had our first birth here, uh, which was Kimby. And now I feel that's kind of the bucket list to have the tigers get a new habitat here at the zoo. Uh, and then our condor is next in our greenhouse. So again, we'll get some rent, get some love for the greenhouse because again, we, we really look at the zoo as being not just the animals, but the plants also are part of our planet. Right. No, that makes sense. Very cool. Um, so yeah, you know, you've mentioned that you've been here for, for 48 years. Tell me a little bit about what that was like. How did you decide to start working here? I mean, growing up here and coming here, did that just inspire you to, to stick with it? Yeah, I got to sit down and take a rest. I'm a little tired right now. No, <laughs> uh, no I, yeah, I was, I came here, I came here as a child. My, our, my family, we had, we had seven kids in the family. Uh, my father was a police officer in Stratford, Connecticut. So we, uh, this is the place to go come when you, it was free back then. So if you had a lot of kids, want to get them out of the house, <laughs> let them run around, get the energies. We, we came here. So I, I started looking at the animals here as something I really wanted to do. We also lived on a farm. Uh, it wasn't really a working farm, but it was land. We had, we had a lot of land on the property. Uh, so I was able to go out into the fields. We had a pond on the, the property, the streams. We had, uh, uh, grasslands. We had woodlands on the, on the property. Makes it sound bigger than it was, only nine acres, but, uh, but it was all there, a lot of habitat. So I, back then I wanted to be a herpetologist. So any kind of reptiles and amphibians on the uh, property, I right. would collect or, or look at. And then, so that's kind of what draw me to, Working in a zoo, not necessarily working at Beardsley Zoo, but working in a zoo. I came here uh, in high school, uh, a junior in high school. I came here and I asked to see if I could volunteer here at the zoo or get a job. And the director at the time said there wasn't any positions. There was no volunteer program. We had nothing like that here. Uh, so I said, can I get credit from the high school to work here? And he said, if you can, then we'll, we'll figure something out. So I went, was able to get credit. Uh, from Medell High School, come back here, and uh, my credit, uh, my learning curve was mopping floors. No, oh, okay. So that was my job, mopping, mopping the old monkey, mopping. So I can do it right today. <laughs> um, my job was mopping the uh, monkey house floors, and then I moved work from there up, you know, to being uh, working in the farmyard, the children's zoo back then, and then from the children's zoo, getting a full time job as a as a keeper, uh, working with uh, with the predators. And in the monkey house, and then and back in uh, 1985 became the 19. I'm sorry, back in 1983 became the director here at the zoo. So it's been uh, it's been interesting to see the progression. It takes a lot of dedicated staff, and I've been able really lucky to work with some really dedicated people here over the years. Not to mention the ones we have right now that are just tremendous, uh, and that makes the zoo. If we didn't have that support and that you know we hate to use the word love because sometimes it gets a little overused but didn't have the love of the people you know that thought this place was worth it then we would have been closed 25 30 years ago that's amazing that's really cool what um when did y'all pursue uh aca accreditation was that before you were director or was that a choice you made or well yeah we uh when i became director uh that's when aca uh formally said you had to be accredited you were a member of aca uh, but back then, you had to be accredited. So we applied for an accred- accreditation in 1985. Okay. So we waited a couple of years to see, get going, and then we applied for in 85. We received full accreditation in 87 because we had some things that had to get fixed. 
uh, and we've been in credit since 1987. That's awesome. Do you, was that important to you, like when you became director? And and how much have you seen, like going? I'm just I'm so intrigued by the idea of having traveled that journey with AZA because I know that like standards are constantly changing. We're constantly learning. We're constantly improving. What has that been like for you? Well, back then, uh, accreditation was vitally important to become uh, a credible facility. You know, for for the only zoo in the state of Connecticut, because back then I think we had maybe maybe one or two zoos that were still extant, uh, but over time they went away. So to become a credible facility, AZ accreditation was very very important. Yes, also was very important for staffing to be able to talk to peers, to be able to use the resources from uh, from the AZA, to be able to go to the conferences and learn from your peers, to be able to contact people if you had some issues. You know, I spent a lot of time at the zoos in New York uh, when I first became director to talk to their directors and their people to get ideas and how this place was going to function. Um, so accreditation was very, very important. It's a good, housekeep- good housekeeping seal of approval. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, uh, yes, over time, standards have gotten more rigorous, more rigorous. It used to be that uh, when we first became accredited, the AZA accreditation was really guidelines. Okay. On how to operate and the best practices. Uh, we've gone from guidelines now to standards. Right. So now that has taken it way up a notch, not just a little notch, a big notch. Uh, and that is important. So we always keep looking at how we work our facilities. And the standards have gotten way rigorous. You know, they've gotten very, very rigorous. And it's a good thing. You know, uh, so we, we really, uh, that's what we look at all the time. Accreditation is, are we keeping up standards? Our educational programs here at the zoo, I think, are, are uh, beyond compare. Uh, our animal care staff is, is unbelievably committed to these animals here. Uh, so, again, I think that uh, the zoo is, is vitally uh, important, not only uh, to the community, but also to the AZA at large because of what we can help with the AZA. We have a program here at the zoo called RISE, uh, which is um, a program of college students from Fairfield University. Okay. And they've been doing cutting edge research here on behavioral research. Wow. And some of this research has never been done in AZA facilities before. And the, the research that we've done here uh, is actually being able to use, is being used in other facilities around the country. So that may be something that Lisa will talk to you a little bit about talking to, to Jim and, and Rob about RISE and maybe even some of the students. Because, again, uh, amazing work. Uh, again, with limited resources, but just committed people. Right. That's really cool. I, I love hearing that. That progression is just so, so cool. And I love that it's, it's constantly evolving. Like, again, I feel like I'm standing in a place right now that couldn't have existed when you started as the director here and, you know, wouldn't exist at a lot of zoos maybe if it wasn't for the AZA and for not only standards rising, but also all of that research you're talking about so that we have a better understanding. The the understanding of the animals is the most important thing. And the understanding of guests. Mm -hmm. You know, what are guests looking for? What are we looking at? Zoos are going to be continually evolving. We've evolved in the last 40 years. We're going to keep evolving, you know, and how, how we take care of animals, how the guests, look at the animals, how, and again, we could see some, 
really big changes in the next 10 years on how we actually operate here. Mm-hmm. Education is paramount. Conservation is paramount. Uh, it's not just conservation of endangered species like our amber leopards and our tigers and our Indian bear, but it's also conservation of our resources, conservation of our planet, conservation in our backyard. I think Connecticut's Bureau Zoo really is the most important to our community. I think we're a community-based facility. Uh, we're not the Bronx Zoo, which is, you know, worldwide. It's yeah. a worldwide organization. Mm-hmm. We we benefit our community. We benefit through through education programs we do here. We benefit through the work we do right outside our gates. You know, uh, just mentioning to uh, somebody a few minutes ago that uh, I we put up a uh, osprey nest box uh, in the park about maybe 10 years ago, never had an osprey go on the box. And this year, finally, we have a nesting pair on the box <laughs> with eggs in the box. Nice. So that, to me... I get more. I get really excited about that. Yeah, I get really excited about seeing bald eagles fly over the zoo. I get really excited about finding a garter snake on the zoo because when I first started here, you didn't see any wildlife, quote unquote, natural right, I mean, right. local wildlife here because it was it was a park. Right, you kept it in a park and everything was cut down. So bringing animals in our our monarch butterfly watch program that we do here, our, our banding uh, of our butterflies and finding one that actually came uh, from here went all the way down to Mexico and they found it in Mexico with the band mark on it. And we're able to say, Hey, we have one of your butterflies that you tagged in Connecticut. We have one in Mexico. That is what I think Connecticut Spirit Zoo is all about. I think that's probably more important to me than a lot of the other things that we do here, you know, and, but I'm proud. It really, it, when, when you put it all together, it really makes a big difference. That's so cool. I love that. And you know, if I remember correctly, I'm, I'm stretching back with my zoo news memory here, but um, when, when the COVID vaccines and stuff were taking place, didn't y'all have like people where they could come to the parking lot and get, am I remembering that right? Or there, there was something going on where you encouraged, I know I remember this unless I'm wrong and I'll just cut the damn thing, but, but um, either COVID or something, there was something where y'all were working with local health authorities. Oh no, we help. did, we did before COVID, this is way before COVID, but we did here at the zoo, uh, we did have uh, worked with DEP and we worked with the state to, to work with getting Animals that shouldn't be in your home, out of their home. That's what it, I knew. There was I could uh, see too many too many too many zoos do too much stuff. Yeah, and we worked. Yeah. And we, yeah, and we worked with with the DEP to, to get uh, if somebody had something they shouldn't have. Right, and a lot of rules uh, have changed in, in how you keep pets. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the biggest issues was the uh, with the chimp panzee that uh, was uh, that was in Connecticut. Mm. That 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 was a very big story back then. But that kind of was an impetus to go and look at what do people have in their homes. So we did have an amnesty days that you could bring the, your animals that you shouldn't have to the zoo. DEP was here to take them away. We weren't keeping any of them. They would come right. here and they would, you know, but we were the repository as the, the safe place to bring them. Uh, and, and in just in case we got something that was, you know, out, out of the, out of the norm of, of a snake or so, you know, if we had uh, poison, uh, hot snakes, we had venomous snakes that came on that we could handle them. You know, if somebody had a tiger or a mountain lion they were trying to get rid of, yeah, we could then handle, help handle that. Uh, but, yeah, we did that for a few years, and then we stopped doing that uh, just because what we're doing is we feel we figured we can do that on a very sporadic basis. Mm-hmm. Because if you did it on a regular basis, then you can go buy yourself a nice uh, – 
exotic animal, knowing that in a year or two I can pass back to and not have any ramifications. So we really had to think about that a little bit. It was a good idea, but we want to make sure that people were going to take advantage of that. Right. No, that makes sense. That's that's what it was. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. So, um, you know, I mean, obviously we are here celebrating uh, the fact that this weekend this exhibit will be opening. But um, beyond that, what else is going on at the zoo? Well, we have a lot of stuff going on. We have we're going to be starting work uh, relatively shortly on our prairie dog habitat. Okay. There's some baby prairie dogs out there now. Little kits running around. There little pups running around all over the place out there. Uh, but prairie dog habitat's going to get a big facelift. We're really excited about that. We're going to be working on the uh, new um, tiger habitat mm-hmm. uh, that uh, we should be maybe seeing construction start of that maybe this fall, uh, which will then move tigers out of the zoo for a while. But again, we'll be building something like you see here with our bears. Really excited about that going on. We have some baby animals born this year that we don't get baby animals all the time because a lot of people don't think of, of the zoo in the spring. They think, oh, baby animals, baby animals. Well, we don't do that. We, we only have animals here that are born if they have a need to be born. Here. Right, right. If we work with the SSP and we're working with knowing that these animals will have a home if and when we have babies. So uh, we had some baby otters born here. We had four baby otters, which was very, very uh, exciting for us. We haven't had baby otters here, I think, for 10 years now. Wow. So getting them back in, getting them back in. They are safe species also. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are, we had a golden line tamarind birth here. Uh, golden line tamarind, we had, haven't had babies probably for 15 years. 15 plus years. Wow. Uh, and to have the first little offspring born here uh, from an animal that we had years ago that we actually had released some of our golden land tamarins from here to the forest of Brazil. Nice. So we, so that program is kind of uh, stalled out now, but to have a, a little uh, golden land tamarind baby born here uh, and being taken care of by mom and dad is tremendous for us. Uh, we also had some animals born in our farmyard, our Narragansett turkeys. Narragansett turkeys, for people who don't know, are called a heritage breed. And a heritage breed is actually an, it can be an endangered species, even though it's domesticated. Interesting. Uh, we have pigs in the farmyard. Uh, they're guinea hogs. We should have some baby guinea hogs this summer also. Nice. Uh, but guinea hogs uh, were, were almost extinct. If it wasn't for Connecticut Spears Zoo working with the with the Heritage Breed Association, uh the, that population would still be near extinction. And now we have a lot of guinea hogs. Guinea hogs are a small uh, breed of pig. They don't get very large. They came over from Africa. Uh, and nobody was working with them anymore because why would you work with such a small pig? The only way you would do that is with a family farm. And family farms, you know, lost favor years ago, gaining favor again now. Mm-hmm. So a lot of these heritage breeds may be coming back just for the fact that people mm-hmm. are saying, Maybe I can start my own family farm again, little victory gardens and family farm. So uh, we try to show that here. We have chicken coops that you can put in your backyard to learn a little bit about that. We have a victory garden here that we grow vegetables uh, for uh, human and animal consumption. Um, so all that kind of stuff is really exciting. And we're going to have a lot of events going on this summer. So it's, it's going to be a great summer for us. Nice. Very cool. Um, is there anything else that you want to say about anything? <laughs> We do have funding to, to start working on greenhouse restoration also. Uh, so that'll be happening hopefully, maybe not this summer, but maybe next summer we'll be working nice. on a greenhouse, uh, which is a, a big a big feature on our zoo. Uh, I think that's about it. All right. Uh, are there any conservation organizations you'd like to give a shout out to? Well, I do because, uh, because of the fact that we do have a baby gold lion tamarind born here at the zoo and we've worked with... Uh, releasing gold lion tamarins in the past. It's to save the gold lion tamarind program uh, down in Brazil. A lot of people may not realize this, uh, but some of the animals here at the zoo are here 
but they they don't belong to the zoo. Okay. They don't belong to AZA. Oh. Uh, actually, the uh, golden lion tamarins here at the zoo belong to Obama, which is the which is the the uh, National Federation National uh, Wildlife Program of Brazil. So those animals actually belong to the country of Brazil. Uh, also, I did not know this. This the, is cool. Also, the main wolf, the main wolf, also belonged to the country of Brazil. So they're here. They're basically here on loan. Okay. from the country of Brazil, not individually, but the species themselves. Right. And we're helping bring back those animals back to the wild. Now, the group that the Golden Lion, the Golden Lion Tamarin Association, we've worked with them. We've had their head, one of their people, come up to the zoo, give a talk about this. And one of the coolest things that's just happened there in the last couple of years, they were able to get funding for the Golden Lion Tamarins to get them from their habitat, which they're in a very small area in, in the Atlantic coast of Brazil, a uh, very small area and kind of landlocked in there. So if anything happened, they did have some issues where the animals were getting sick and that entire population of golden lion tamarins in the wild could be extinct in the blink of an eye if, if something went through the entire population. Right. They were able to get funding to build a land bridge over a highway so the animals can now migrate from their area to another tract of land on the other side of this very busy highway in Brazil. And so, yeah, I want to make a shout out to them and, and knowing that that was a huge de- deal for them. And hopefully it will not only work for the Golden Lion Tamarins, but everything else that's living in that area yeah. can also take that land bridge over to uh, to that new zone. So it's kind of cool. Very cool. I'm obsessed with wildlife uh, overpasses, underpasses yep. even. Yep. I've seen it where yep. they go like under roads yep. and stuff. Yep. Very cool. Very it's cool. It's a big, big program they worked on. And I think uh, we the connection for us is our Golden Lion Tamarins, of course, but also the Fairfield University program that we work with is also working with them over there. So they've sent people down there to, to check it out. That's awesome. It's time now, don't you know? We've come to the end of the show, but there's one tale left to go. You're gonna laugh and say, oh no, it's time for the Rossifari poop story. You know, working in a zoo, you can have a lot of uh, disgusting, poopy stories, you know. Uh, And you can go from peacock poop, which is probably the smelliest poop on the planet, you know, to some poop that isn't smell so bad. I and mean, even sometimes the bear poop actually sitting here, it's got a nice fragrance to it. But my poop story, <laughs> poop story is back when we had a pond that we had here at the zoo that had a lot of ducks in it. Uh, and it, it hadn't gotten cleaned out for a while. And it was a mess. It was green. It had a smell to it that you couldn't, it's hard to imagine. Uh, but we had to empty the pool. Now, back then, the resources we had, we didn't have a sump pump. We didn't have any pumps. We didn't have hand pump. We had none of that. So you had to do it the old-fashioned way. You had to do it with the hose oh, in the water. No. And so my, it was because I was brand new here working, uh, I was the one who was picked to get the water out of the pond. And I said, okay, and I started, you know, drawing in on the hose, put the pose in the water. I had to hold my nose because the smell was so bad, and I'm, Going in there, and somebody tapped me on the shoulder while I was doing that. And as I turned my head to say what, it all came out oh. into my mouth, oh. into my face. Uh, I did not retch, but the people around me did. <laughs> so not only we had that, we had people all around me, you know, gagging, and I all over my face. And yeah, that was probably the. 
the a thing that I was surprised I did not get any kind of lasting disease from that. Yeah, personally. Good, good job. Good good good. Job yeah, so that and, would be my poop story. Poop story. It's a good one. And actually, I'm just going to throw in a little bonus thing here because it's hilarious you said this. Um, but my my latest poop story. Poop story. It's not much of one. Is that we walked in this room and my eyes started to water. It stinks so bad. Just the poop. It's not this place is fine. But that poop is very fragrant, very smelly right now. And you're sitting here like, yeah, that's not bad at all. And I was like, I have to interview. <laughs> I have to interview I in this. That, I think that bear poop is very nice. I, 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 Linda's sitting here waiting. She's got to clean the bear poop. So <laughs> I'm the only one, apparently. I do. I do actually have a very sensitive nose. I don't like get sick, but I do. But yeah, that was just so funny, especially when you're like, "That's not bad at all." And I'm in here gagging. Of, I can't think of any any uh, poop at the zoo that makes me gag. Nice. Anymore. That's good. Out of curiosity, people poop. People that'll poop is gross. Yeah, yeah, people poop gross. is gross. Um, so I'm noticing the hat because so your logo is like the half of a tiger head looking over yeah. at Connecticut's Beardsley Zoo. And now you have is there going to be Andy and Bear merch? Because that is the cutest hat ever, and I want to buy one. Well, well, the the zoo this year, uh, because we're opening a new bear habitat, uh, we're also calling the zoos programs this summer, doing all the zoo programs this summer and trying to be bear aware. Mm-hmm. So bear awareness uh, is very applicable to us here at the zoo because of the Indian bear habitat we're opening up, but it's also very applicable in the state of Connecticut because of the issue with black bears. So we've had some educational programs going on here at the zoo about black bear awareness. Uh, we're going to be continuing that program throughout the summer on black bear awareness. Uh, so yeah, we decided that uh, we usually have the tiger as our logo, but this year, because we're bear aware, we put the little Indian bear on the hat, and uh, and that's where we our bear awareness. It's only going to be for this year only. Okay, uh, this is the this is the only time we're going to be having the bear hat. Um, but yeah, we may be doing merchandise in the in the tick in the uh, gift shop to be bear aware. That's, nice. It's, it's 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 important for the educational programming. Uh, for us, but also for the state of Connecticut with the bear problems we're we're coming into, and most of it is human based problems. Shocker. So, yeah, it's not a bear based <laughs> problem. It's human. Let me go take a. Let me go take a. You know, my big my big thing is people feeding the bears. Think it's really cool to have them in their backyard. Uh, but it's also one of the things where people are trying to take selfies with the bears. Oh. You know, and what you're doing is just you're just creating a problem that the bear is going to have to be taken care of and that's just not fair to the bear right so yeah so we're trying to be bear aware here at Connecticut Bears Zoo this year I love it very cool I want those hats are the cutest thing ever I'm obsessed they're so cool they yeah. really are they are great yeah, yes. don't let anybody see it <laughs> Okay. <laughs> oh my gosh! Thank you so much. That's so Brandy cool. New, so it's not even it's kind of ah, Thank you. Thank you so much for taking right. the time for this. This has been a pleasure. blast. Really Always appreciate it. Always a pleasure. Y'all, I am so excited about the Andy and Bear exhibit at Beardsley Zoo. It's really really good it's big it's expansive it uh those words mean the same thing and i keep saying them both as though they mean separate things but uh yeah it's just really beautiful and um the bear is wonderful as you heard and the future is looking really really bright uh both for that exhibit and the zoo in general and how cool is greg i mean i've heard the expression he's the kind of guy that would give you the shirt off his back but he literally gave me the hat off his head. I wore it all day and plan to continue. It is 
adorable and awesome. So I want to say thank you to Greg, and I want to say thank you uh, to uh, Lisa for setting this up. Lisa Claire, who does the uh, PR there and has been a huge supporter of the podcast for quite a while now um, and actually uh, even took the time to sit with me and um, give me some ideas on how to help uh, grow the podcast to uh, to do more PR work. She had thoughts that never crossed my mind and uh, I'm so appreciative uh, for all of that. So um, yeah, I guess what I'm trying to say is that I'm having a really good day, y'all, because again, uh, this is coming out, you know. The day after all of this went down, and it's been really fun throwing this all together and reliving it kind of in the moment. So, um, yeah, I, I thank you all for listening, and I want to say a special thanks to my Red Panda-level patrons, Laura Shank, Kristen Dickey, and Steve Williamson. And uh, finally, I want to remind you all that the word credits backwards is Steiderk. The Rossafari Podcast is produced, hosted, and engineered by John Rossi. Editing and fact-checking by John and Dr. Zoe Rossi. Our theme song is Sevens by Nathan Burke, performed by Nathan and John. Interrupting John theme and additional voices by Taylor Isaac Gray. You can reach John directly on Instagram and Facebook at Rossafari or by email at rossafaripod at gmail.com. Rossafari is part of the Daydreamer Media Network. Now, stop listening to me and go visit a zoo.